I want to talk to you this morning about power and purpose. Power and purpose. We've been talking about the last few weeks of the power in process and the power of priority. And today I want to speak to you about the power in the purpose. Uh, purpose and priority may seem very similar, but I don't want to confuse the two. I know that definition may seem like, well, it's just going to be a repeat of last week. Well, I hope not, um, because I see a significant difference in priority and purpose. Priority can be defined as something of greatest importance, somebody or something important, or a right of precedence. Purpose, however, is the reason for existence, a desired effect, a determination. So priority is something that is consisting in the mind or in the intention of the heart, whereas purpose is a physical reason for existing or the specific outcome of an action that may have been driven from a priority. So they're connected, but they're not the same. One's purpose in life is the manifestation of their priority and action combined. Therefore, one's purpose in life is very important. It's the living out of the combined effort of a priority and an action, both of which God sees as very important and both of which he's very concerned about. A godly priority combined with an action results in the godly purposes being fulfilled in our life. See, one can have the right priority, but no action. Therefore, he just thinks about it and doesn't do anything. So you have to have action with a priority if you're going to get a purpose. And on the other hand, one can have a lot of action, but the wrong priority. And he's still not fulfilling that godly purpose that is established for our life. So it's important then that having a godly purpose for one's life, it makes life meaningful and worth living. A life without a godly purpose is a miserable, lonely, unfulfilled life full of questions and wandering. It's a terrible way to exist. Do you know your purpose in life? Have you ever thought about your purpose in life? It's an age-old age question and one that, we've has, that we have a hard time answering in many cases. I'd like to run a video, if we can, and it'll help us with an answer of what is your purpose. What's your purpose in life? So, sir, just wondering, what's your purpose in life? And what's your purpose in life? <laughs> just wondering, sir, what do you think your purpose in life is? What do you think your purpose in life is? Excuse me, mate. Just wondering if I could ask you a question. What do you think your purpose in life is? What is your purpose in life? Just wondering what your purpose in life is. I really don't know. As for my I purpose, know. I don't know that yet, but hopefully I'll... Discovered soon. Yeah. Awesome. Just wondering, what do you think your purpose in life is? Um, I don't think I have one. Everyone's here. Everyone's here. Everybody. 
everybody's What's your purpose in life? Yeah. Have as much fun as I can, pretty much. Uh, to have fun. Enjoy your life as long as you can. Just wondering, what's your purpose in life? Dancing. To work, to eat, rest and play. Milo. So Probably more beer and more burgers. <laughs> cool. Cheers. Thanks for that. Drink, gamble and womanize. Thank you. To be happy. Um, to have a good time. Just be happy. <laughs> So just wondering, what's your purpose in life? Stay alive. To live life to the fullest. And then to get out there and live with no regrets, have fun. Cool. Just be happy. Just be happy and just follow my dream. Yeah. Obviously to, uh, like, uh, I guess, uh, experience as many things as I can um, in life and um, travel the world. I want to do as much travel as I can. And um, yeah, basically just meet people, friends, things like that. And yeah, live a fulfilling, peaceful life, basically. So cool. thanks a lot for that, man. That, that's awesome. Cheers. purpose in life is? Oh, big question. <laughs> Probably just to be successful. I think in terms of work, pick it up each morning and sort of good going to work and obviously not doing any purposes. It should be sort of a love, like it should just flow. Find out your purpose by living it. Thanks for retire early. So what's your purpose in life? Well, I want to finish university and become a lawyer. My purpose in life will be a rich man and a honest man. I want to do more to save the environment, that's the purpose to have, and yeah. What kind of stuff like saving the environment now? Oh, just everything, like just turning off appliances when you should turn them off, and just everything. I'd want to do work with animals and... I don't know yet. It's the <laughs> Cool. Uh, basically, at the end of my life, I feel that I've um, given joy to some other people and uh, made them happy if uh, my life, then I'm happy. My purpose in life, I think, um, put on this planet, have a child, raise it up um, to give it the same opportunities, if not better, than what I've received. Um, I've already got a partner at the moment, fiance, we're getting married, so it's only kind of natural to, um, yeah, kind of progress from there and uh, raise someone that, um, yeah, that didn't turn out to be kind of like me or if not, yeah, kind of better. Sorry, what your purpose in life is? Oh, big question. What's purpose in life? Very good question. Oh, that's pretty good. Purpose in life. Yeah. Funny you should mention that because I'm reading a lot of books at the moment about that. Yeah. And I suppose everyone wonders what their purpose is. And I think everyone's got to discover it themselves. Now I don't know how much of that you could understand because it was kind of a garbled message. But I think what you can get out of that is nobody really knows in that video. And what a sad state of affairs. The one lady had one potential answer that might have been right to be Christian. A lot of people f try to go through life trying to figure out their purpose 
and have a hard time with understanding what it is. Knowing one's purpose is not the same as knowing what you want to be when you grow up. That may be part of it, but a career or an occupation is not the same as your purpose. It may be a small part of it, and depending on what your career is, it may be more of it. If you're a missionary in Africa, that's still not your purpose. That's your occupation. A purpose is not what you do, because when you confuse a purpose with what you do, that's where people get hurt. That's where men have a lot of problems with their egos, because men become, they derive themselves so much by what they do that their purpose becomes confused with their occupation. And then all of a sudden, rough times come. The economy turns bad. They're in a car accident. They have a disease, and they lose their job. And all of a sudden, their purpose has gone because they've confused their purpose with their occupation. They're different things. They're different things. So you have to understand that. So do not let yourself become confused with the difference between an occupation or a career and your purpose. So then, what is our purpose? Where does it come from? And what should it be? I think we should take a look at Jesus. And I think that he will be a great example for us to understand if Jesus had a purpose. If he did, what was it and where did it come from? And I think we'll see the significance of looking at Jesus' life as an example for us. I believe that my purpose should line up with Jesus' purpose as much as it possibly can. So to keep it simple, let's just say this, that my purpose and your purpose and everything we do should be Christ-like. If I align my purposes with Christ-likeness, that is really the secret to, of living a fulfilling life on this world, in this life and beyond. So as we talk about how Christ had a purpose and what his purpose was and as if we can take then glean from this a little bit as to what our purpose in life should be I think it will help us uh, understand that better and help us as we get through life's issues and trying to figure out what our purpose should be in relationship to godly purposes now let me tell you the Bible tells us that we are to be like Jesus 1 John chapter 3, verses 2, three, 2 and 3 says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what, will, what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is, as he is pure. So yes, when Christ comes back, in his resurrection body, and when we meet him, our bodies will be like his bodies, his body, and we will be like him. But more importantly, verse 3 says, all who have this hope that we are to begin today to purify ourselves just as he is pure. So that doesn't mean we wait until the rapture. That doesn't mean we wait until we get to heaven. No, we're to be like Christ in this life. We're to make ourselves pure as he is pure. Jesus' singular purpose for coming to this world 
was and still is to destroy the work of Satan. That's why he came. That's why he was here. That's why his Holy Spirit is still here with us today. 1 John chapter 3, verses 7 and 8 says, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. That is the singular purpose for why Jesus came to this sin-ravaged earth, was to destroy the work of Satan. And he did this on the cross. He did this by living a perfect, perfectly sinless life that the adults talked about in Sunday school today. Talked about how Jesus lived a perfect life. And there was some discussion as to whether Christ Jesus could sin or not sin while he was in this human body. And the answer, I believe, we agreed with, and the answer is yes, he could have sinned in his humanity because the mystery that we don't understand is that he was fully God and yet fully man at the same time. And what was so important is that if it, was, if it would have been just the man of Jesus, I could get in trouble on this one, but if it was just the man of Jesus, he might have had a, he might have had a problem. But what does it say? Before he, before he went out in the, into the 40 days in the desert, what happened to him? Scott said it. The Holy Spirit filled him. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that kept Jesus from sinning. And just like the power of the Holy Spirit keeps us from sinning, I cannot in my own way ever stand against the enemy in my own. And that's why Jesus had to die on the cross, shed his blood for me, become my perfect sacrifice, become my way to salvation. The only way to God is through Jesus. And then he had to ascend and go and sit at the right hand of the Father because his work was done. But when he went, he sent the Holy Spirit to us as a comforter. He sent the power of the Holy Spirit to come and live in our lives and to fill us and to baptize us in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when I'm baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit, that gives me boldness to proclaim the gospel of Christ. That gives me boldness to live a sinless life. Not a perfect life, but a sinless life. A sinless life meaning that when I do fall, when I do slip and make mistakes, I am convicted by the same Holy Spirit and he comes into my heart and he says, get your heart right with God. Get your heart right with God. Ask for forgiveness of the sin and you know he will be faithful to forgive. So that's what the Holy Spirit does in our life is that his purpose is to, conv is to convict me. His purpose is to be my advocate and my defender. At the same time, he's my accuser because he wants to keep my life pure. Just like he helped Jesus keep his life pure. So, Jesus' purpose was to come to destroy the devil's work. Just like personal choice was involved in the initial fall of man, because it was Adam and Eve's choice to fall. Nobody made them eat the apple. Nobody made them make that bad choice but themselves. All right? Just as much as it was their choice to fall, it is your choice to be redeemed. Nobody's come, nobody's going to come and make you ask for forgiveness. Nobody's going to come and repent for you. So just as choice was involved at the beginning, choice is involved at the ending. And it's always a part of your life. 
that choice to continue to live a spirit-filled life that is free from the, the ravages of sin is constantly your choice. You can walk away from it at any time. Or you can choose to live in the power of it as much as you want to. So your purpose then is to live a godly life, a Christ-like life, with the choices that you make. And you choose then what those purposes should be. So now let's, talk, let's look at Jesus' life a little bit. And let's find out what his other purposes were. His main purpose was to do what? Defeat the work of the devil. He came to die to defeat the work of the devil. That's what his main, his main purpose was. But in addition to that, he had many other purposes that would all come under that same umbrella. All come under that same framework. Let's talk about what they are. Number one, he came to show God's love for us and others. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, then skipping down to verse 8, it says, You see, at just the right time, when we were, when we were still powerless... Christ died for the ungodly. Skipping to verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God came to show us his love. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent us his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So now, God gave Jesus to show us love. How then do I take that same command to show love in my life then is one of my purposes? So that was one of God's purposes. Now, what's my purpose? My purpose here is to take that same God love and to show it to others. I'm to be Christ-like. If I'm going to be Christ-like, then I'm going to continue to show love. 1 John chapter 4, starting at verse 7, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Skipping down to verse 11 and 12, Dear friends, since God loved us, so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And then 16 and 17 of that same chapter, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever love lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will all have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Where God came down, he showed us love through his son Jesus. We are then to take that love and then to um, show others that same love so that we can draw others to Christ. That's our purpose. One of our purposes then is to show God's love for others. Another purpose that Jesus had was to seek and save the lost. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. John 3.17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We as well are given that same commission. And we're, we are then to go out, as it says in Mark 16:15. he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. As Christ came to seek and save the lost, so am I 
That's part of my purpose, to go out and seek and save the lost. When Jesus had uh, died, came back to life, he spent 40-plus days with his disciples, 50-plus days with his disciples, and then it came to the point of time where he was to ascend on high. His last comments to his disciples when they were on the Mount of Transfiguration were this. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, he says, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We are to be Christ-like in that we are to go out and seek and save the lost. That's the great commission that he gave us. He gave us to go out and make disciples. Disciples. Another thing that Jesus was one of another's purposes in life was to spend time in prayer and communion with his Father. Now this is an interesting one, isn't it? To think that Jesus, being fully God, had to pray. He had to pray. He had to spend time with his Father. And I don't think he, um, I don't think this was a problem for Jesus. I don't think he uh, regretted the fact that he had to pray. I don't think he... Um, I think he looks forward to it. Just as I would look forward to spending time with the person that I loved. Mark chapter 1, verses 35 says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it says, One of those days Jesus went up to the mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. Have you ever spent a whole night in prayer? For the fact that Jesus spent that much time in prayer encourages me. At the same time challenges me that I need to pray more. I need to pray more. And prayer is one of those, um, one of those confusing things a little bit because if God already knows my need, then really why am I praying does God need my instruction on how to answer the prayer? Is he, is he waiting, sitting on the edge of his seat, thinking, I'm really kind of confused on this one. Mike, tell me, how do I answer this prayer? Tell me what to do. You think that's God's position? No. I, I, I hope it's not. Because if it is, then i got big problems. The reason I pray is because I'm obedient. The reason that I pray is that God set the rules. And he said, you have not because you ask not. And when I, go to, when I go into prayer with that anticipation of an answer, that I am now being obedient to his rules. And his rules are you pray, you receive. It is a cooperation. It is a unity. It is bringing my spirit into union with his spirit and then because I'm praying, because I'm obedient, because I'm doing what I'm instructed to do, then he has the authority to answer the prayer according to the way that he wants to answer it. Not to the way that I'm praying it, but the way that he wants to answer it. We have a, um, a little prayer uh, receptacle out there in the foyer. I haven't mentioned it, but there's a little box out there, a little prayer card. If you have a prayer request, fill out the card, drop it in a box. And here's the key, here's the really important deal about this. For the, for the fact that you are obedient enough to write the request down on a card, the prayer's already done. 
Now, we're going to pray over it, but our prayers are not the secret to the success. The secret to the success of that is the fact that you were obedient because you've asked. It's your faith that's being, um, that's being honored, not mine. Not anybody else that prays over that card. Now, we will do that. We will pray over it with you. We will agree. We will put our faith with your faith. But for the fact that you were the one who was obedient to ask, that's the reason that you're going to get the answer. Not because some TV evangelist uh, prayed over it and, and, and all of a sudden it's done. No, it's the fact that you honored it because you asked sitting where you're sitting in your life where you're at. God answers your prayers. And it's so important that we do that. Now, sometimes we just don't know how to pray. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. Romans chapter 8, 26 and 27 says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So now when I just don't know how to pray, I pray in my spiritual heavenly language. I pray in tongues, and I pray in that heavenly language that the Lord has given me through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is not the same gift that we're talking about when we're talking about gifts and interpretation, tongues and interpretations in a public setting. Two different things. Same Spirit, two different things. When I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit and I have a gift of tongues, that is a heavenly prayer language that I use then in warfare. And my own personal prayer life is when I use it, it's, it's, it's between me and God. And it's powerful. It's very powerful because now I am praying the will of God through my life. I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray for the need on that, request, on that prayer request. Or I don't know how to pray for your need. Or there are some times I'm woken up in the middle of the night and I just don't, I need to pray. And I don't know what to pray for, so I pray in my heavenly language. And when I pray in that language, the Holy Spirit is praying through me taking the obedience of the fact that I got up and I prayed and I'm just entering and I'm entering into a, a unity and a cooperation with the Holy Spirit to pray the prayer that is according to God's will and then he will answer that according to his will the confusing part is we don't always see the answer the way we think it should be therefore we don't think God answers prayer well that's nonsense God answers prayer he answers prayer. He answers it the way he needs it to be answered, in the timing he needs it to be answered in. Yes, we might see it immediately. We might see it in a miracle. Or we may, see it in, or we may not see it in this life at all. We may see it in heaven. But God answers prayer. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever deny that. Don't ever doubt that. God answers prayer. He is not limited by anything. The purpose that Jesus came was to show us how to pray. One of the purposes of Jesus' life was to pray before men so that we then have the example. We then know, have, have the witness of Christ. If he has to pray, then I need to pray. If I don't pray, I'm a powerless Christian. If I don't pray, the enemy comes and steals from me the victories that the Lord wants to give me when I ask. And when I don't ask, it's because, it's because the devil is telling me I'm not effective. That's a lie. Understand that. That's a lie from the pit of hell. And don't give in to that. When you don't feel like praying, that is the time to pray. When you don't feel like it, that is exactly the time to get on your knees and pray. Because that's when the warfare is happening, and that's when you're going to win the victory, and you're going to win the battle, is when you don't feel like it. So pray. Follow God's example. Follow Jesus' example. Get up early in the morning. Early. <laughs> or stay up late. It's just, it's got to be dark. 
But then 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18, it says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, that you pray. Another purpose Jesus had was to speak the word of God. Speak the word of God. John the Baptist in John chapter 3, verse 34, he is speaking of Jesus when he's saying this. He says, For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the Spirit without limit. John chapter 12, 49 and 50, For I did not speak, this is Jesus speaking, For I did not speak on my own. But the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Jesus prayed, Jesus listened, and Jesus spoke the word of God. We are as well, and our purpose of our life is to hear and speak the word of God. It's not just a preacher to speak the word of God. It's you speak the word of God. You speak it. You speak it in the midst of your problems, in the midst of your situation with your peers at work or at school, young person. Wherever you're at, you speak the word of God. And there's power when you speak the word of God. Acts 4.31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. You want to speak the word of God boldly? Then exercise your gift of the Holy Spirit. He will give you that boldness to speak the word of God. He'll give you the power to speak the word of God. And this is what really confounds me, is that why are we so flippant about it? Why, if Jesus was careful not to speak any other words but what the words that his Father gave him, why are we so quick to make up our own words? Why are we so quick to make up our own form of religion? The ones that matches and, and makes our itchy ears feel good. If Jesus was careful not to speak wrongly, then so should we. So should we be sure that we're in the Word of God and that we're reading the Word of God and we're hearing God and we're speaking His words, not mine. His words, not my ideas. His words, not my opinions. Because I can make my own opinions over the Word of God that make my Christian life easy. That's not power. You might think it's powerful today, but there's going to come a day when your power is going to be challenged. And if you're not speaking the Word of God, then your power is going to be weak and it's going to be non-existent. So speak the word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 4, 1-4 In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. That's big words. Jesus will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Don't be mean with it. Don't be flippant with it. Don't be reckless with it. Don't think that you can go to somebody and says, Thus saith the Lord, and not be sure that it's God's word. Too many people do that, and we have a lot of weirdos in this life that go around saying that and don't have a clue what they're talking about because it makes them look powerful. It makes them look like they have a corner on something and they don't have anything. 
besides a false word. So be careful how you use God's word, but make sure you use it. Get into the word. How do you know it's God's word? By getting into it and by reading it and by putting it in your system and putting it in your mind and your heart and digesting it and eating it so that it flows out of your pores like bad garlic. That's when you know that you've got God in your spirit, when it flows out of you and that people sense it and hear it and they can sense it because it's the purpose of God in your life that you are speaking the will of God. Continuing on, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Help us, Father. Help us, Lord. Guard our hearts, guard our minds. Do not let us be sucked in to what we think we want to hear, but teach us. And speak the word of God. Another purpose Jesus had was to do the will of God. To do the will of God. John 6.38 For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do, but to do the will of him who sent me. Again, we see Jesus very concerned that he does only what God tells him to do. He doesn't go off on his own. It's your will, not mine. Your will, Father, not mine. He was very careful whenever he healed anybody, whenever he did any miracle, that he was prepared before he got to the miracle time. He was already ready to work because he had had a prayer life. He had a relationship with God, his Father. And when it came down to do something, he was prepared to do it, and he was doing the will of God. So are we to do the will of God. And when we keep our life pure before God and we keep ourselves in the spirit and keep ourselves in the word and keep prayed up, then we also can do the will of God. Jesus also knew that he had a certain amount of time on this earth. He had a certain amount of time that was designated for his ministry to be active. That doesn't mean that Jesus could only last three years without sinning. Jesus could have lived many generations without sinning. But the reason that I believe that we have this example of time, because Jesus' ministry started when he was about 30, and he died when he was about 33. That doesn't mean he couldn't handle it anymore. But the significance of that, I believe, is that we work with an urgency in our life. He had a purpose of urgency because he knew his time was short. He had to get a lot done in three years. He didn't waste time. He wasn't a procrastinator. We in our life can procrastinate the things of God. We can say, I'm going to wait until I'm an old man. I'm going to wait till I'm married. I'm going to wait till this. I'm going to wait till that. And then I'm going to get serious with God. That's a dangerous game to play. It's a dangerous thing to do because that's not the example of, being, of having a godly purpose. Young people, find your godly purpose early and pursue it and chase after it with all you have. And don't give up and don't think you're going to wait till you're old. Middle-aged person, if you haven't done it, start. Grandma and grandpa, pray. Do what you can do in your purpose of life, but don't let time get by. Don't let the enemy come in and steal the most valuable commodity you have, and that is time. He takes your time. He makes you weak. You don't spend time in the Word. You don't pray. You think, I'll do it tomorrow. That's procrastination, and it's wrong. 
Because Jesus didn't procrastinate. He was very diligent. He was very intentional. He was very, very purposeful in everything that he did. Everything he touched, everything he said, everything he prayed, everything he, he, he put his hand to, he had a purpose for it. We waste too much time on TV. We waste too much time on the computer, on the Internet, on Facebook, on Twitter, whatever it is, where there's all kinds of distractions in this world that we waste time over. That's not a godly purpose. That's, a, that's an enemy's purpose, and that's there to keep you weak. Chapter, or John chapter 9, verse 4 says, As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Basically, we need to be working for God while we still have the ability to do that. Don't stop. Another purpose that Jesus came was to lay down his life. John chapter 10, verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep... My sheep know me just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And then 17 and 18 of the same chapter, the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. This command I received from my Father. Again, Jesus is hearing the commands of his Father. He's so diligently hearing and listening to his Father. Godly purpose in our lives means putting God first and be willing to sacrifice our time, our energy, our ambitions to lay down our life. Jesus laid down his life for our salvation. We're to lay our, down our life for his redemption so that his salvation is effective in my life. Our complacent and lazy attitude toward God keeps most of us from fulfilling our purpose in our lives and then to give God the, the utmost or the best that we have. Luke chapter 14, 25 and 27 and 33 says, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Then verse 33 says, In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Wow, that is really strong words, isn't it? It's really strong to think that we have to give up everything we have. But understand the way when we give things up, we're giving things up that we can't keep anyways. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I'm giving up something that I can't even keep. So I'm better off to give it up because when I give it up to God, when I give it up willingly now, he will, he will be a faithful to restore it to me in ways that are eternal. I give up something that's temporary to get something back that's eternal. That only makes good business sense. It only makes good common sense that I would do that, that I would be willingly to give up what I can't hold on to anyways so that the Lord would give it back to me for eternal purposes. Lay down my life. Lay down my life like he did. Another purpose he had was to glorify God. He didn't take the credit. John chapter 1, 17, verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. And then verse 4 says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. See, Jesus knew everything that he did on this earth was directly relational to what God gave him to do. And he never took the credit for it. He always gave the credit to the Father. 
Same thing in our life. As we pray, as we ask God to work in our life, we have to be careful that we glorify God in our life, that we don't take the credit. If I have a wealthy, uh, if I'm wealthy, if I'm really good looking, do you think I'm responsible for my looks? (laughs) Boy, that's a loaded question. You guys are really quiet out there. No, I have no responsibility for my looks, whether I'm ugly or pretty or handsome. I have no responsibility for that. Therefore, how can I be prideful over that? God blesses us with things that I have no right to be prideful over. It's his decision that we are living in the United States. It's his decision that we were born in the families that we were born into, that we weren't born in some third world country that has nothing So how can we be prideful then over the things we have? How can I hold on to the things I have when it wasn't my doing in the first place? So understand that our purpose is to glorify God. And I know I'm running long here. Lastly, the most important purpose that Jesus had, other than to, well, this is it. This is defeating Satan, and that is to give us eternal life. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 6.40, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have to receive it. A gift given to me that I don't unwrap is a wasted gift. I could be given the best gift in the world, but if I don't unwrap it, it doesn't do me any good. So I go back to the premise that we had at the beginning that said that Christ gave his life. My choice to receive that is what makes it effective. I will waste his death on the cross if I don't receive him. It doesn't do me any good if I don't choose him. If I choose to walk away from him, then what he did for me in the cross is of no significance to my life whatsoever. My choice. My choice to receive him in a humble nature and have a relationship with him as he showed us how to have a relationship with the Father is my purpose in life. My purpose in life is to be Christ-like. My purpose in life is not to be rich or to have the biggest church or to drive a nice car or to have a nice house. It's not my purpose. My purpose is to be Christ-like. My purpose is to love people. My purpose is to live my life amongst others that they would see Jesus in me. My purpose is to show Christ's love. My purpose is to seek and save the lost. My purpose is to listen and, ha- and listen to the Father, that I pray, that I have relationship, that I have communion. My purpose is to do what Jesus did. What is your purpose? This Jackie would come this morning. What is your purpose? Do you know what your purpose is? Do you know? John 10.10 says, The thief, who was the devil, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. All right. This is where rubber beats the road. What do you want? What do you want in life? Jesus came to destroy the devil's work. The devil came to seek 
and kill and destroy. I'll tell you something right now. There is no gray area. There is no middle ground here. You are either on the side of Jesus, who is trying to destroy the work of Satan, or you're on the side of Satan that is trying to destroy and kill those that are Christ-like. So, what is your purpose? You cannot be middle of the road here. If you're middle of the road, I'll tell you right now, you're on Satan's side. If you think you can get by just by being a good person, you're on Satan's side. If you think you can good, get good by, or that you can get by without having Christ in your life, you're on Satan's side. There has to come a point in time of your life where you make a decision, you make a conscious decision to say, I am going to be Christ-like. My purpose is to be like Jesus. And the only way you can have that is to have the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit draws you. The Holy Spirit may be speaking to you right now. The Holy Spirit may be nudging you right now and saying, you know what, he's talking to me. Because I haven't done that yet. I haven't really committed my life to Jesus. I don't really know what my purpose is. If somebody was to ask me, I would be like those people in the video that I couldn't understand. <laughs> but I would be saying, I don't know. If you want a purpose that is going to be fulfilling to you, that is going to be rewarding to you eternally, your purpose is to be Christ-like. Now, how do you do that? How do you do that? You do that by closing your eyes. Can you close your eyes with me? If the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, what he's trying to say to you right now is, I want to give you the purpose that I have for your life. I want to give you purpose in your life. Maybe you've never had it. Maybe you had it. Maybe you lost it. But I'm going to call you. I'm going to call you and I'm going to ask you to decide what purpose do you want. Is your purpose to be with me or is your purpose to be with the enemy that I have come to destroy? I want to give you a chance this morning to make that purpose in your mind. As all eyes are closed, please. This is a serious time. This is a time between you and Jesus. This is a time that if you don't take this serious, there's going to be a day when you wish you would have. If you don't walk out of here today with Christ in your heart, we need to examine that. So I'm asking you right now, if you have this nudge of the Holy Spirit saying, I have to make my purpose line up with Christ. If you want to ask Jesus in your heart, that is the step number one. If you want to, would you raise your hand and just show, show me. No one's looking around. This may be just a confirmation of what you've done in the past. This may be the first time you've ever done it. I see that hand. Thank you. This is the time between you and Jesus to say, I'm going to make a declaration that I know now that I have Christ in my life and now my purpose is to be Christ-like. This is the most important question anybody could ever ask you. One more minute. If the Holy Spirit's prodding you, let pride go out the window. Do not let pride stop you from this. Do not let pride stop you from raising your hand and saying, It's me, Jesus. It's me, Holy Spirit. You're talking to me. Hallelujah. 
Father, now we just come before you in Jesus' name for those that have raised their hand. Lord, I thank you for their obedience. And for those that haven't, Father, I pray that you keep working on them. Because I feel that there are people here that haven't done it but need to. And I don't know who they are. It's not important. I'm not picking them out. But Holy Spirit, you have your finger in their life. You have their finger in their life. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you do not let up. Do not let up, Holy Spirit, until at some point in time in their life they say they surrender and they say it's me. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for those of us, Lord, that have you in our hearts and our lives and that we've experienced your presence in our lives day after day after day. I thank you for that mercy and that grace. I thank you for the purpose that you're giving us. Lord, help us to live in the purpose to be Christ-like. Give us the ability and the power to do that. I thank you so much for for your mercy and your grace. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.